Welcome to the Confluence Investment Management Bi-Weekly Geopolitical Report podcast for March 14th, 2022. I'm Phil Adler. How has the Ukraine war changed the investment environment? And are the changes likely to be long-lasting or short-lived? Joining us to tackle these questions is Bill O'Grady, Confluence Chief Market Strategist. Bill, you've made the case often in the past, well before the Ukraine war began, that economic globalization has been waning, that we have been moving away from the free trade model that promoted cheap imports and just-in-time supply chains, but at the same time required the U.S. to play the role of world policemen, helped create inequalities in the workforce, and also required the U.S. dollar to reign on the top rung of the ladder of favored liquid investments. Now, is it fair to say that the Ukraine war has accelerated what was already a flight from globalization? When you study history, there's always an event that is tied to a major change. For example, we all point to the fall of the Berlin Wall as the beginning of the end for the Soviet Union. However, there were events that preceded the wall coming down that suggested the Soviets were in trouble. For example, the lack of leadership in the Soviet Communist Party and the economic pressures that falling oil prices triggered were precursors. Well, let's look at the economic sanctions leveled at Russia and discuss their role in the longer-term scheme of things. Russia apparently felt it was prepared for all this, that its huge monetary reserves built up by export sales and also years of low domestic outlays would shield it from the impact of sanctions when it invaded Ukraine. At the time of this recording, this certainly does not seem to be the case. What happened? Clearly the unthinkable. Russia believed the following. Building these foreign reserves would protect it from sanctions. Holding gold in-country was a safe liquid asset, and holding currency reserves and non-dollar assets would protect it as well. What it did not count on was that the U.S. and its allies would sever Russia from the global financial system, which is a necessary component of making these reserves liquid. Likely, Moscow believe the West was so divided and so willing to be bribed that there would not be this level of unity. Well, as you noted, Russia did hold a higher percentage of gold and also a higher level of China's currency in its reserves than in the past. Now, can Russia count on China to help bail out its economy? Well, that remains to be seen. I have no doubt China will offer some support, but probably not enough to prevent Russia's economy from imploding. As we saw with Iran, Beijing is willing to help at a price. Iran sells oil to China, but at deep discounts. Russia will likely find itself at the tender mercies of China. And to further the point, Russia just isn't all that important to China's economy, but trade with the West and China is very important. Thus, there will be limits to China's support. Just curious, is China in the same position as Russia as far as the vulnerability of its foreign reserves? Well, that is the big question. I think it is. There was a thought circulating for some time that in a crisis, the U.S. could selectively default on treasuries that China holds in reserve. What the Russia event shows is that it's even worse than Beijing thought. 
The West essentially destroyed Russia's reserve by refusing to allow the Russian Central Bank to make transactions with the West. China is even more vulnerable, and there's not much China can do about it. With over $3 trillion of reserves, there's no other market that can accommodate that level of asset. About all China can do is to start to use those reserves to accumulate raw materials that may have value if it finds itself in the same position as Russia. So the sanctions applied to Russia could be taken as an example for China to contemplate as well in case it's planning, say, on an invasion of Taiwan. Yes, or other issues too, like cyber attacks on the West. Is there another currency ready to challenge the dollar as the world's reserve currency? This is the point. What the Russia example shows is that no currency can offer protection if one can prevent that reserve from being liquefied. So the bigger issue isn't just that there may or may not be a competitor to the dollar. The entire rationale for reserve accumulation is now in question. Are we likely to see a move toward two or more reserve currencies that might further divide the world into competing and unfriendly trade blocks? Well, that's my expectation. I suspect the world will, at a minimum, divide into a yuan block and a dollar block. It's also possible that a euro block emerges as well. Could cryptocurrencies be effective as a way to sidestep the dollar? Well, maybe. Although the crypto world would need to create a mechanism to where they could be used as a medium of exchange. So far, the blockchain is so bulky that it couldn't make transactions fast enough. And as nation-states increasingly see crypto as a threat to their power, I'm expecting aggressive action to be taken to severely restrict their use. The crypto dream seems to be to create a world where no one is beholden to a nation-state. That only works if a person is completely devoid of corporal existence. But as long as a person has a physical body, crypto is under threat. Bill, one of the Astounding developments, it seems to me, is the number of private Western companies which are pulling out of Russia and, in effect, applying their own sanctions on Russia. Where does this fit in and help drive the anti-globalization story? Well, first of all, the self-sanctioning is, in part, a reaction to a world where privacy is almost completely lost. There is a real risk to being offside the angels, and so companies, in order to be seen as good citizens, can't engage in working with bad actors. Second, as the world divides, companies will need to reverse the patterns of the past 30 years where they source production anywhere. Technology allowed them to do that. Now, I suspect we're going to see company divisions develop. Some products will be developed and produced within the currency blocks. This is another element of deglobalization. And just to emphasize a point you made, all of this can be seen as another offshoot stemming from the expanding power of social media. Yes, it is. Social media simply does not do nuance. Now, the impact of all this on inflation appears to be enormous and fairly rapid. What do you think? Well, potentially, yes. One of the characteristics of severe inflation is that money loses its store of value function. Economic actors try to convert money into a form that will hold its value, and if those actors decide that goods fulfill that role, inflation becomes hard to manage. In other words, when hoarding kicks in, it's really hard to stop. Bill, what dilemma does this create for the U.S. Federal Reserve? 
Well, it creates a terrible situation. In my opinion, Paul Volcker's heroic act was to restore the store of value function to the dollar. But that will be hard to do in the current world because debt levels are so high that small increases in interest rates tend to cause problems to emerge. I suspect the end game for the Fed is that they will set a higher inflation target, something like 4%, and do their best to try to contain the damage. Looking at equity markets, they have taken a tumble at the time of this recording. Longer term, are equity markets less appealing? Well, yes and no. Uh, how's that for a two-handed economist? The uh, odds of recession are likely to rise as policy is tightened and prices rise. But if equities begin to be seen as a more reliable store of value, they could become much more valuable. In the 1970s, this didn't happen because the costs of participating in the equity markets were high. For example, stocks traded in eighths, meaning that an investor lost 12.5 cents on each transaction. And for most of the 1970s, commissions on equity purchases were high and they were fixed. More likely, we are going to see parts of the equity market do especially well, but the overall indices suffer. Bill, I'm not sure as an investor that I'd want to be alone in figuring out next moves. Where does all this leave investors? Well, perhaps the best advice is to understand that the world of the past 30 to 40 years is over and that a portfolio will need to be diversified across areas such as commodities. In a world of falling interest rates like we've seen since the early 1980s, long-duration assets were the place to be. Those days are probably over. And so investors should seek out advisors who understand that premise. Thank you, Bill. Also, thank you for the timely Ukraine updates that I have been reading every day in the Confluence Morning Comment. To our listeners, our discussion today is based upon sources and data believed to be accurate and reliable. I wish to state that opinions and forward-looking statements expressed are subject to change without notice. This information does not constitute a solicitation or an offer to buy or sell any security. Our engineer is Dane Stoll. I'm Phil Adler.